Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, Billy Fry, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It's been 17 seconds since I started that. And just by the mere fact that I have Billy Fry at my side, not literally, uh, virtually, I had this whole historical, it's like, it's like when you're dying and your life flashes before your eyes. I was seeing all of the times that Billy Fry and I were sitting together, starting Rural Route. And you know which one kind of popped to the top is that I thought of most flamboyantly? Which one is that, Trent? <laughs> the first said, one? We had many of them. No, it wasn't the first one. I wonder if I remember the first one. You know, we I were was to, thinking, we I was were at a cattle convention. I think you could be right. And I yeah. was thinking back, it's been at least 10 years uh, since the All Tech World Equestrian Games. Bingo. Um, That's the one. Is that it? We so, must have had a lot of fun in during that one. I tell you what, it's uh, 10 years ago and many hazy memories. I couldn't hear you. You're kind of muffled. What'd you say? Oh, what's going on there? <laughs> You like my mask? No, I do not like your mask. It's my cat mask. Why do you need a cat mask? Because I've changed roles many times. I probably need a chameleon skin, but I have a cat mask. Yeah. Uh, Just from where I've gone, and now I'm in the cat business. You're in the cat business. That's what everybody wants to be in. Bailey Fry joining us from somewhere in an undisclosed location on the front range of Colorado. Is that where you're at today? I am. I'm in the office here in Boulder, actually. So, uh, well, you were. What happened? Boom. Just like that. Billy is gone. And while Billy is rejoining us, I will just quickly, I assume he'll be rejoining us. I'll quickly tell you that he had worked, we met when he was working as the communications guru for Alltech. And uh, we became dear friends. The uh, World Equestrian Games was a tremendous event. It happened in Lexington, Kentucky. It brought every corner of the round globe to Kentucky to celebrate all things horse. And the other thing that Billy did that was of true significance, we had a contest in, uh, with a cooking of pork, as Billy is now telling me here that... Um, stream is gone you're no longer a part of it well i guess we'll just sign off but he won a green egg because he was a master chef i think we're going to do this the old-fashioned way thanks for tuning into this very shortened abbreviated version oh wait look just as that happened i have no idea i had to uh, fill her all of that time i was giving a little rundown on history never missed a beat while you were gone but where did you go it just said it was over. I guess they didn't like me being here in Boulder, so uh, I left and come back in. Who does like you being in Boulder? So I just did a little rendition of history of your time at Alltech, our wonderful experiences there. And then I was starting to share when you so rudely came back, your ability to cook and win a green egg by yes. popular vote. That was one of the best things. I still have that green egg. It's traveled with me to... From Kentucky to Nashville to Boulder now, uh, and it still cooks the best ribs uh, money can't buy. 
I had not gotten to the point in the, your time gone uh, talking about your little stint with RFD TV in Nashville. That was a good opportunity for you. Absolutely. You know, it was a, a really good opportunity to see how that side of the business works, be a media man like yourself, uh, try to, to learn the, the media business. Um, much more difficult than I thought, but a great opportunity. Very grateful uh, for that. And it was a good five years, five year run there. Yeah, suddenly in uh, 2020, I've, well, here you I and I are doing this via video. I found myself doing a lot more lights, camera, action, and it looks like 2021 could have a lot more of that. There's still quite a bit, quite a bit to be said about telling a story via visual aid. Of course, I've always said as a radio person that you shouldn't need a crutch of a video. You should be able to explain yourself in a, in a way that creates the visuals. Yeah, you know, that I think there is, uh, that's very true. You should be able to explain it. But, um, you know, we live in a visual society today, whether it's all of our. <laughs> I have no idea. It's like he's on a time out basis. And uh, Billy Fry joining us from Boulder, Colorado, in and out. If that happens again, we'll just have to say we tried. We tried our best. Third time's a charm. But, Billy, if this doesn't work, we're going to have an abbreviated roll route today. Well, I, I wish I knew what was going on. It just keeps cutting out. But um, it, it seems like the same amount of time. It's almost like as if you got a timer set where if you're two and a half I, minutes. Is there a uh, quarter I need to put in the slot? <laughs> uh, because I don't know. I just sit here. And uh, it's pretty <laughs> ironic when you talk about a visual media and immediately it, it goes. goes yeah. So, but no, I, I love what you're doing. You know, you've always been, you opened my eyes to communicating, uh, the, the, you know, about your passion, whether it's agriculture or whatever that case mm -hmm. may be. And so, um, you know, it's really been, uh, fantastic. And, and the visual media, I think is probably a little bit more condensed these days, but, um, you know, I think it's the way to go. Remember all of those years you would sit and tell me, Trent, you need to do this roll route program live on video so people will watch you. I'm like, nobody wants to watch me. And here we are with you coming in and out every two and a half minutes. Yeah, sometimes uh, <laughs> it feels like we're back in 2010 with the connectivity <laughs> issues and old, old, uh, old software. But, um, yeah, it, you know, what you're doing is connecting. And, and I think when people see that and see, you know, where you are in different places in the world, I know you travel quite a bit. Uh, I'm glad you're doing it. What are you doing now? You mentioned uh, selling cat food. You're in the cat business. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a great opportunity. This, is, this was a company I knew many, many years ago called Champion Pet Foods, founded in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, when I was with Alltech, they were actually a customer of ours. So it was very little Champion Pet Foods back in 2003 and four when I lived in Canada. And then an opportunity came about last year that I said, hey, I want to jump on it uh, to join the team here. And Champion Pet Foods has two brands, Origin. <laughs> There it is, the same exact amount of time, two and a half minutes. So I don't know what exactly we got going on, uh, but we will get him back here. He's popping back up now. I'm telling you, I saw it coming because it had been two and a half minutes. I, I knew you were up. Here's the good news. We have two and a half minutes and we'll go to a break so that we'll be able to get it all sorted out. Okay, you started to say Champion has two brands, Origin, and then you disappeared. And a canna are the two brands. And, um, you know, what makes us different, Trent, is um, we, we really 
pioneered the feed, uh, feed a high meat diet to your pets. Um, that's how dogs and cats were evolved to eat. You know, in the wild, they would eat um, meat, particularly cats. Uh, they're obligate carnivores, meaning if they don't get the meat, they will not live. And so, um, you know, I love that story because I'm a big fan of meat. And so, right. um, you know, we really figured out how to put that much meat in kibble to feed the pets. And, and the cool thing is we work with local farmers. We source the best ingredients. Um, we're kind of feeding pets like uh, humans. It's a humanization trend in pet food. And uh, I think it's really good for the pets, the health of the pets. Uh, I feed my dog um, our products. And it's uh, also really good for farmers. Repeat that last segment. You something farmers. It's really good for farmers because mm-hmm. um, right now we're looking at premium cuts of meat. We we have a what we call whole prey philosophy. So um, there's always a role for meals and things like that and, and food. But uh, we we feed meat, fresh meat, raw meat, uh, bones, cartilage, um, organ meat. So um, we, we're taking not only um, all the meals and all the uh, byproducts sometimes, but what we focus on, the main focus of our of our thing is to focus on the premium quality ingredients that we can buy from farmers and ranchers around the world. So I'm really fascinated by this, and, and I thought that it would be a good discussion. Probably there went Billy again. We're going to take a break. We're going to go to a break. For those of you on the video, we're probably just going to go the old-fashioned way without the uh, visual effects. It's rural route. Trent Luce alongside Billy Fry. We will come back and talk about actual feeding of pets. And while we are getting reconnected and Billy will be back, I want to remind you about Lone Creek Cattle Company, the opportunity to be a part of a branded beef program, much like what we are going to talk about today in branded pet food. But branded beef gives the consumer that assurance that the beef will be tender. More details about the tender beef aspect can be found if you look up what the Piedmontese cattle bring to the equation. It is the possession of that. It's like they own it. They have the myostatin gene. The myostatin gene, which is documented at research at Clay Center, Nebraska, said that when it's present, the beef is more tender. It takes less time to chew it, and that is what creates a great eating experience. Now, What you need to know is that you as the producer are getting paid better for possessing this myostatin gene in your calves. Lone Creek Cattle Company has established a large supply of bulls and sires that will accomplish this for you on your cow herd. Get details about how you can be a part of this and receive the premium that I'm talking about, $180 per head at www.lonecreekcattleco.com. Marlon Will with details. Trent, do you think that's a, a, a commentary on my visual appearance? Uh, <laughs> I think you shouldn't have wore a cat mask. Software. I think the, the cat mask got you in trouble. <laughs> you could be right. It, or the streaming software said, and then I'm out. this is not meant for you. Yeah, somebody said this is not meant for you. So, uh, uh, All right, so 15 years ago, now, for those of you just joining us, Billy is uh, with Champion. Is it Champion Pet Foods? That's correct. And uh, I want to walk through my involvement in pet foods because about 15 years ago, this is the third time I've tried to get to this story. 
I was speaking at the American Pet Food Manufacturers Association meeting in Washington, D.C. And I remember probably more than any other speak. I'll never forget the speaking gigs because I think I scolded them pretty hard. By the way, I haven't been asked back. But <laughs> I scolded them because I was in the mix. I know it was 15 years ago because I was in the throes of the battle to keep horse harvesting alive in the United States at the time. And one of the outlets for horse meat, beyond what's going on with France and and where we export it to European countries and, and Japan, was the horse meat and dog food. And I had so many people come up to me and they say, we know you're right, but we can't keep putting horse meat in dog food because we're selling to the consumer and to them it's the yuck factor. And so at that time, in 2015, 2005, 2006, that was when the shift was taking place in my mind of what I knew from the diet like you just described being meat and high levels of excellent quality protein to what was the least cost ration to get it a, a adequate nutritional package and it was high in corn. You look on any dog food for the 10 year period, the number one ingredient was corn and I'm like, Dogs weren't raised, their their whole evolution was not based upon a high sugar, high starch content corn. And then you see people getting dogs with diabetes and cancer and, and overweight issues and obesity. And I'm like, good grief, this is not hard to figure out. So apparently, you're now working for an outfit that figured that out some time ago. Is that the moral of the story? Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, Trent. You were, you were on it. And, and in fact, Champion was on it, um, a little bit before that as well, because, uh, a high glycemic diet just, uh, for pets, just like for us, is not good for you. You know, obesity is the number one problem with pets. And, uh, and uh, people are overfeeding, especially now in COVID, because people are at home more. What do they do when they're at home more? They're with their pets more. What do they do with their pets more? Well, they treat more. And a lot of those pet, all those treats have, uh, corn and fillers and things of that nature. So, um, yeah, it's a really big problem. And just like with humans, we see uh, obesity leads to a compound effect of other issues, uh, a myriad of other issues, whether it's it's joint issues or or just overall all other overall health factors that come in when your when your pet is not being fed adequately. So, yeah, I think you're you're really onto something, and you were onto something then, and it's really taken hold now. And so how long have you been, you being champion, working on that? It's been 20-plus years. 20-plus. Um, you know, yeah. So we, we've really uh, done that and, and um, started way back then with, uh, uh, like I said, in, in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, uh, with the Muhlenfeld family. And mm -hmm. they took it, and then the first brand was a Canna, standing for Alberta, Canada. And then the second brand that came along uh, about – around the 2005 era uh, time frame was Origin. And Origin, if you think of the two brands, uh, Acana is the, is, has a lot of meat, more mm -hmm. than probably 90% in the market, but Origin has the most. So, you know, we, we, uh, Acana will have 60 to 70%, 75% um, animal ingredients, and Origin is going to have 85, 90% animal ingredients. And these are great, great ingredients. I mean, Hectron, I wish I was fed like like some of these, these dogs and cats. I'm looking at, you know, 
uh, chicken and turkey and flounder and whole nest laid eggs and mackerel and herring. And that's just one recipe, um, combining it all in there uh, so that that dogs and cats have this good variety of animal-based proteins, uh, which they need and, like you said, which they, they were evolved to eat. You you referenced the fact that it was beneficial to farmers. You're purchasing directly, or how do you do that uh, acquiring of your ingredients? Yeah, so we have a great ingredient uh, uh, procurement team uh, in in the United States. It's in our what we call our Dog Star Kitchen, which is in Auburn, Kentucky, um, just about uh, an hour north of Nashville, right around the Bowling Green area. And so we take great pride in this, and we have a great team. There's an 11-page document that you have to fill out just to start process to be one of our suppliers. So we do buy direct uh, for a lot of our ingredients, and uh, we source verify. We, we put them through all the paces because we want to make sure that their ingredients are up to our standards. It's not just about can you deliver mm-hmm. enough quantity. It's the quality of those ingredients because um, – you know, we hang our hat on that. That's our that's our thing is is premium quality ingredients, and um, we wouldn't be doing our part to to earn that trust if we weren't putting putting our suppliers through the paces. So, are people then buying their? And I want to say dog food, but I can't with you because you seem to be really geared towards cats buying their pet food um, beyond the the price. How much is price a factor? Is I guess my question. Well, it depends, right? So um, some people um, feed, you know, just based on price. Find something cheap, feed it, uh, whatever. A lot of those have corn, soy, wheat, um, things that you mentioned earlier. Um, but what we found is there's a growing segment that price isn't an issue. You know, dogs and cats are members of the family now. Mm-hmm. And um, just like you wouldn't just feed your kids uh, potato chips all day, Um, people are starting to turn that bag and look at the label and realize that, hey, I need to pay attention to what's in this dog food and and cat food, and um, price becomes less of an issue. We have a premium price product because it's a premium product. And, uh, you know, whether it's dog food, cat food, or just human food, you know, I think that's something you've always been talking about is we have some of the best food in the world. Why shouldn't we charge people what it's worth? And that's what we we do. We don't charge a penny more, but it's what it's worth. And, and people have resoundingly said, hey, look, my pet, my dog, my cat is worth it. Yeah, in fact, I'm a little troubled that people may be paying more attention to what they're feeding their dog and cat now than they are their kid. Well, that's a whole separate issue. Yeah, um, but it's part of the complex. It is part of the complex. But, you know, Trent, what I look at is as long as we're all looking at ingredients, Mm-hmm. whether it's ingredients for our pets, uh, for our kids. I don't think you're going to do as much harm, you know, at least that their psyche. And that's what we try to educate people is turn the bag. What do those, what does that ingredient, what's the first ingredient? Go beyond the first ingredient. What's the second, third, fourth, fifth? You know, how long until you get to um, cheaper byproducts and things like that and then make a decision? Well, if you're looking at that for your pets, hopefully – Maybe I'm being uh, naive here. Hopefully, you being naive. that translates to you. You've children. always been naive, though. I've been trying to get you out of that state for a long time. Well, you know, I feel life is a little more pleasant when you uh, have that naive, <laughs> optimistic view instead of this cynic and skepticism. <laughs> okay, and, and you don't need me to do your sales pitch, but just common sense. 
When you feed a more nutrient-dense diet, we're talking about to your pets, and you have these available nutrients that are so available in meat products, I bet it doesn't cost any more to achieve the same level of nutrition with a premium pet food made of high-quality meat products than it does a grain-based diet that they have to eat twice as much. You'd be shocked how close the prices are. I mean, you can buy something made, such as our product, made with premium quality ingredients, uh, which might be a little bit more, uh, as as you would than uh, a corn base. Just turn the bag if it says corn or corn gluten, whatever, um, because you have to feed less. And we, we've done some studies, and we've just looked at the feeding rates. And, you know, you can feed sometimes 25% less, Trent. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you factor all those costs in, it, our, ours might be a little bit more, might be break even. It, there's so many factors there that you can't think. But think about this: you're feeding better nutrition, and then when you factor in the long-term health benefits of um, the compound effect of feeding, eating properly, feeding properly for you know dogs, cats live 10, 15, 20 years. Um, that's gonna that's gonna add up. And if you if it's poor nutrition for that long, well, what are the vet bills gonna be? Uh, is that pet gonna live? A shorter life, a poor quality of life. It all it all adds up. It almost sounds like I didn't give you any ammo. You already had that figured out. <laughs> well, I'll, I'd be lying if I say that's not one of our uh, things, and not well, and it was actually a project I worked on the past it, couple of weeks. It's just common sense if you understand nutrition. But therein lies the problem. Most people don't understand nutrition. Billy Fry does. We are talking about how we feed pets, and maybe we'll evolve into people. I don't know. We'll just see. We're halfway through. Technology's working with us now. We'll be back for the second half of Roll Route after this. Get more details about shining a light on your genetic future at Neogen.com. It's all about the genomics. You need to know what genomics are in there. And guess what? People are doing it in a big way for their pets as well. Neogen.com for full details. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Loose, alongside Billy Fry, like old times. Uh, you are Kentucky through and through. You were probably Kentucky blue every day. How, how are you transitioning to life in Colorado? You've only been there a couple months, right? Six? Yeah, no, we moved here at the end of July. So, um, so yeah, it's just two months. It was kind of a whirlwind trip. We were looking to make a move back in March. Uh, then the world got shut down and... Finally, in June, we said, uh, hey, if we're going to look at this, we have kids now, so we got school to deal with. We need to make a move so we can get them get here before school. Um, what we thought was going to resume in person, uh, it ended up being online. So, no, it's not. It's a great transition. Um, I tell you what, I do like all the sunny weather and the lack of humidity. Um, that's really nice. Uh, I don't get to see, go to my Kentucky Wildcats uh basketball or football games as much but heck nobody's really going to basketball yeah, football you can games watch it virtually like days, everybody so. else <laughs> exactly so um so yeah that's that's pretty cool um and and uh it, it's just a short flight home yeah i mean it's just as far as the airport yeah exactly an hour and a half i'll be back in direct flight to louisville and uh back in bluegrass and, and you've lived your entire life in Kentucky and Tennessee, you don't know what a beautiful summer's like. You're about to find out next summer. Well, you know, this summer was so darn hot. I think they said 70 days here mm-hmm. uh, above 90. So, uh, 
Yeah, I, a beautiful summer, I assume, is what you refer to as no humidity. Correct. You don't have 97% humidity on a daily basis. Yeah, people are like, this is hot. And I'm just like, yeah, but you're not sweating. <laughs> you're not, you, your forearms aren't sweating at 8 a.m. Uh, Sitting so, under a shade yeah, tree, drinking uh, an iced tea. <laughs> exactly. Heck, you just get in the shade here and uh, it drops 20 degrees, whereas in Kentucky it just gets a little darker. Yeah. Uh, Landry and I plan to make that journey annual voyage to Louisville in like three weeks. They canceled the North that's, American, but they're still having the live, junior livestock shows. Well, that's that's awesome. I was just talking to, buddy, to a buddy who, who works there uh, with the North American, and uh, he had, we reconnected after many years, actually, uh, last night on Facebook. And mm-hmm. so um, he's had a data up, and they're talking about all the challenges. And live events are just really tough these days because we got so much – going on but i think it's important i'm glad you guys are doing it because it's important for the kids to everything they can learn through showing animals showing pigs like you guys do uh, back to marketing and tying that in with uh, the concept of 2020 how tough has it been to get the word out and to market what what it is that you so are supposed to be doing in the pet food world with all of the covid challenges you know it, it I wouldn't say it's been easy. Um, one of the biggest issues that we've had as an industry is um, with our retail locations. So we sell we sell mainly through uh, neighborhood pet stores, so a pet specialty. So not your um, big grocery stores or or um, big chain stores like that. We sell through the, the smaller independent shops. Uh, we also sell online, Petco. Um, uh, and Amazon and different places like that. So one of the big issues for our industry was that when COVID hit, a lot of these mom and pops didn't have a um, have an e-com site. And when people weren't going out, so immediately they turned to Amazon or any other e-com site to, to buy their pet food. And there was a big run because that's got to eat, right? right? So um, so that's that's one issue of, of trying. They really struggled. And in fact, Trent, I don't know if we talked about this, but we declared October Neighborhood Pet Month, and we've got a, a tour going around the United States. We're going to hit about 15 cities or 15 states in a month uh, celebrating these na- uh, neighborhood pet stores going. We have a little mobile, like a food truck type thing, mm-hmm. prize mobile that stops and, and recognizes those guys. So that's what's been really tough. But, um, you know, we're, we're really taking an active approach to keep the message out and, and, and start telling our story. I'm not sure, unless you're in the retail business, you understand um, wholesale retail uh, combined like you are. I'm not sure you have a grasp of how distribution will fundamentally be changed forever as a result of what we're living through. Oh, uh, without question. I mean, you look at just your 401k, if you were invested in Amazon, you're a pretty happy person. I mean, um, they say... um, in the pet industry, online has taken a five-year leap forward in terms of people willing to purchase online because wow. whether it's a run on toilet paper, whether it's a run on pet food, you know, people got comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, people like my parents had to learn, okay, how do I order on Amazon? Um, because they're of the age where um, they would be more susceptible um, 
to COVID. So they were, and nobody really knew at the beginning. So they had to get comfortable doing that. And now that you're comfortable and understand it, it's not this crazy thing that, uh, whatever it is, um, more people are doing it. And yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's changed the world. Uh, I also see where, and not just see, the people I talk to who are friends of mine that raise these animals, raise dogs, purebred dogs, and sell them, they tell me that uh, 2020 has been off the charts for demand in puppies. Yeah. Well, we just got one on Monday. Um, we've been looking for a while. You know, that was kind of a promise to the kids. They will move. Uh, our, our dog pal died about a year ago. And... uh and it took us a little while to get a new one and, and the move and all that. It's been spiking. I mean, we see um, people adopting. It was really tough for us to find uh, a shelter that was uh, that had pets. Um, dogs or cats are moving. What there, there's still a little debate, Trent, on um, if, has the overall pie grown? I think it has. I've seen a lot of research that says um, people have it, it shifted a bit. Millennials got more pets. Baby boomers made up uh, prolonged pets. Um, so, you know, millennials are more active. They want to go out. They want to do. So it makes a little more sense that, hey, they'd go ahead and get a pet where boomers are like, hey, uh, take a wait and see approach and uh, see how this thing's shaking out. But there is no question that people, uh, there's a lot more pet pet owners out there. And, uh, and there's been a lot more time with those pets. Now the big thing is what happens in six months mm-hmm. when, people go back to work if people go back to work and they realize, okay, now I got to make arrangements for this dog or cat. Um, during the day when I'm not there all the time, uh, we're hoping that they're going to keep them and realize, Hey, this is a commitment. This is part of the family. Um, but, but that's the big unknown. So back to that demographic, if they're millennials getting pets, are they first time pet owners? Um, you know, that's interesting. I'm not 100% sure, so I don't want to, uh, you know, stand a reason that a lot of them would have some background as a, as a, um, child. You right. know, they're, they're not that far removed from childhood, so they probably had a pet. Um, we, you know, I, I really couldn't tell you the percentages there, but, um, I would say it, it's pretty common sense would, would tell you that they're going to be, um, first time purchasers of pet food you know um or, or a vast majority of them are so they're they're really going to have to look and we've done a lot of research into that to say okay what are these what are millennials looking for um different than probably the younger generation in, in the past they don't just look at price they look at the back of the back of the bag they look at the ingredients now they're not going to sit there and dig through it and they're not going to spend hours upon hours to find out they want to get in, get out. They're, they're a quick-moving generation, so they want to make a decision. They'll do the research online, and they'll go make a purchase decision, uh, and then you got to satisfy them. You know, if, if there's something that goes wrong, they'll, they'll switch off of you. So you really have to um, get them in there and, and make sure, uh, help them make the right decision. They're not as loyal. They'll, they're quick to drop you if they think they've got a either a societal reason or a nutritional reason. Generally speaking, I think that's fair. Um, they just don't have that many years of brand loyalty that right. you or I may of like, Hey, this is the type of drink I like or food I feed or whatever. Um, you know, they're still forming those. Um, but the interesting part is probably compared to you or I, they're making more informed decisions 
from the beginning because there's more information out there to make those decisions. Isn't it interesting, though, that at a time of economic crisis, and I'm going to call it economic crisis for most people, despite the continued handouts that come from Uncle Sam, these millennials add another mouth to feed. I mean, it's not it's not cheap to do this. No matter what you feed it, how you take care of it, it there's an added expense. It's an expense, but, you know, the thing that's crazy, or, or not crazy, the thing that you understand and what I've understand these past few days, even though that I had to get up uh, and, and calm the dog because it was whimpering last night a little bit, um, you know, the joy that we bring. So maybe it's not just food dollars. Maybe they're shifting entertainment dollars. You can't go to the movies. You can't, you know, most people aren't going out to bars, things like that. So it's a dollar shifting. And, um, you know, I realized how much we missed having a dog. Uh, we loved our dog, Tal, for 10 years. And uh, when he was gone, of course, we were all sad. Olivia's eight and Henry's five. And um, they were really sad, and, you know, the joy in their eyes of, of bringing in the new new uh, dog, Willow. Um, you know, it, I, I really view it, hey, it, it improves the quality of life. There's a lot of research that says, hey, we're happier, we live longer when we have um, a companion like a pet in our, in our life. Yeah, I actually remember many pictures of your dog in your backyard in Kentucky. Yeah, he was a big one. He was uh, a big one. Was a, big yellow was, one, wasn't he? Yeah, brown. Yeah, he was golden German and bloodhound. About 100 pounds, and that was Mariska's. We loved him, loved him dearly for 10 years, but Mariska said, I want a small dog, and I was like, yeah, and I want one that doesn't shed as much. <laughs> so uh, so as, as a, as, with the new dog, we got a Brittany Spaniel, so uh, a little bit smaller, uh, very active, uh, but she's, uh, she's not going to shed as much. So, uh, oh, that, that's not good for the guy in the, in the dog food business because a big dog eats more. You need people to have all big Doberman pinchers. Yeah, yeah, you can get you a big a new feeder, St. Bernard. That would be great. But uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, you know when I, I have a Yukon, and when you put towel, we ship up to go to Grand Granddad's house for Christmas. He would uh, he'd take up pretty much all the present space. So uh, he, he was a big boy. I don't think Willow will be that big. Yeah. All right. We have one segment left. The roll route. We will do that. Continue to talk about this demographic of buying pets and feeding them nutritionally proper more billy fry after this the challenge in animal ownership and how the law is working against legal ownership of animals comes to light in the stand at paxton county it's on netflix full details about a inspired by a true story movie that has been doing well on netflix by the way and it's because the people in hollywood say trent nobody's ever told that side of the story Forest Films tells that side of the story what so many people in every species of animal is dealing with on a regular basis. On Netflix, watch The Stand at Paxton County. Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Luce alongside Billy Fry joining us from Boulder. Is that hard to say that you live in Boulder? Do you tell people that or do you tell them you're from Kentucky? Well, I say I live in Boulder now. It uh, it depends if I'm in a country music uh, or a country bar or something like that. Uh, I came from Nashville, but Kentucky has a lot of country music too. So uh, <laughs> I use whatever's. And we actually live in Erie. I work in Boulder, but uh, so uh, that's, that's still Boulder that's County. Point of being a 
Uh, actually, right across the line in Weld County. Oh, well, you're in Tall Cotton if you're in Weld County, then. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think we're like a quarter, a tenth of a mile. It's. It, I thought we when we bought it, we were in Boulder County, but they're like, nope. That road right there is the county line. So. So how many years has it been now since you jumped into this pet food thing? Year and a half. I started in uh, February last year, so yeah, I thought maybe a little longer. Yeah, no, it's uh, been a pretty short time, but we've changed some roles. You know, we my my first role was to help build out what we call our shopper marketing, which is how you know what you see in a store. Mm-hmm. If you go to your local pet store and you see those shelf talkers, and uh, really, it's a way to educate people. And that's the one thing that I found really interesting is you know you've always been uh, an advocate and advocating and getting people the right information. And that's what I find so interesting about this industry is that's what your neighborhood pet store does. Uh, those employees know a lot of them are hiring with uh, pet nutrition back degrees. Um, so to work in there, you know, when you go in there, you're going to get really good advice. Um, and they're going to tell you, uh, they're going to look at your pet and say, okay, well, this could be an issue. You know, dogs aren't supposed to scratch. Uh, why do they scratch? Well, they have flaky skin. Why do they have flaky skin? They probably don't have enough uh, omega-3s and omega-6s. Uh, you know, uh, a neighborhood pet store can really advise you uh, at the store, look at your dog, look at your cat. And, uh, I find it really interesting, uh, the, the word of mouth, uh, and the, the advice that you can get when you go into those stores. Yeah. You almost went there. Cause my question was going to be, what's been the biggest, like, Oh my goodness. I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, it's, um, a lot of people go in there. They're not, it's not like a grocery store where, okay, I'm going to buy this. And, of course, we all make impulse decisions because grocery stores are huge and what do we want to eat? Or, oh, that right. looks good. You know, they're looking for advice. A lot of them know what they want. Um, so we have to help drive them. And that's part of what we're doing with this Neighborhood Pet Store Month is, is driving awareness of, hey, did you know uh, you spend a lot of time? Dog, mm-hmm. might, dog or cat might be a little fat. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. And if you want to stop in here, um, this this uh, – Retail employee uh, could really get, help you give some advice and and tell you, hey, uh, this is what's best. And, and even the you know big pet superstores like Petco, um, we do great in. You know they have the same great advice, and it's a little bit bigger store, uh, so it just depends on what you're looking for. But um, the advice thing is what's really so surprising to me. Uh, so I go into um, farm stores, and it doesn't matter where in the country. I'm just perplexed by the number of different brands of pet food that are available. There must just be a plethora of dog food and cat food companies. Yeah, there's there's a ton of them, um, and they are a lot of them are owned by uh, big multinational uh, uh-huh. Nestle, Mars, um, Colgate. You know, we're we're uh, one of the largest. It's a, a pure pet company that doesn't own. Um, you know, candy bars, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, which is kind of ironic. We're talking about, everybody talks about proper nutrition and other people feeding candy bars, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. (laughs) Well, that's their main business making candy bars. Let's just send to the dogs what we can't put into the human package. Yeah. And it's just like, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? It's like, really? Uh, but, um, you know, I have a lot of colleagues here that come out of the consumer packaged goods industry um, that have made some great products um, in the past. And in what they all say is, wow, this category is really complicated, really crowded. Um, 
And so that's our real goal as a team. We talk about that every day of how can we help eliminate the confusion Mm -hmm. that exists up there? How do we help educate people? Because, okay, is it, uh, you know, is, is meat good, is meat bad, is corn good, is corn bad, whatever. We need to help. We need to do a better job as an industry of educating people. Now, the, the difference is people have different uh, opinions. You know, those that want to produce, produce the cheap food, they certainly don't want you to uh, turn the bag. Um, people like us who produce the premium quality food, we want, we're very transparent. I mean, heck, we're even talking about, you know, putting the, putting the ingredients on the front of the bag. Uh, you know, we want people to look at the ingredients and we want to look at want them to look at all the ingredients because um, it's important. It, it's what every one of those ingredients does something in the dog or cat. And, uh, and you should know what they're doing. You're really going to put a picture of chicken feathers on the front of the bag? <laughs> no, we're, we're not. I didn't say pictures. We do uh, have some pictures. But, um, yeah, we feed uh, not feathers, but the cartilage, the organs, the bones, sure. uh, things like that. We uh you know, that's that's all part of the diet because that's like you said earlier. That's what they would have eaten in the wild. But, right. You know, if if a dog kills a uh, a squirrel, doesn't just eat the the breast meat, or if it kills a, a chicken, doesn't just eat the breast meat. Uh, it's going to eat the, the whole animal. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Or, yeah. Or a pheasant, or whatever that fowl might be. So, could I do a, a loose tails private label through Champion, where we could do this joint marketing thing? Yeah, well, as much as I'd love to do that, Trent, we don't make anybody else's food. We're focused on ourselves, and that's part, that's part of because of our supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we you wouldn't believe our kitchens. We call them kitchens, not factories. Um, I mean, Trent, it's state of the art. You walk in there. I went to eleven foot baths and hand wash stations while touring our kitchen first time before I even worked there. It was immaculate. It's cleaner than any human grade kitchen that you see, and uh, even down to the thing of it's air pressure controlled where the trucks come in is the high pressure, low pressure. I don't know exactly what it is, but the air won't flow back through the, the uh, kitchen because that's where the raw ingredients are. And obviously more pathogens are more likely to pass if there are any. Um, so it, it's down to that level of detail. And because of that, that's why we only make food for ourselves. It's uh, yeah. Um, so I fully understand that. And that was one thing where, I tip my hat to the, everybody in the pet food manufacturing business. And I remember after the scolding of not feeding horse meat to pets back at that meeting in, in 2006, I did acknowledge, and this is something people don't know, the regulatory burden on pet food at this point in the United States is higher than it is on baby food. I don't know how we got there, and I don't know why we're there, because in our house, like everybody else's house, if you have something that spoils in the refrigerator, what do you do with it? Throw it out. You, you give it to the dog. <laughs> and, and yet we have everybody and their everybody and their dog trying to put all of these biosafety, biosecurity measures in place in pet food manufacturing. It just seems like over the top. And I'm not being critical of you doing that. I think it's fantastic that you. You can control the pathogen growth on any of these living organisms, so to speak. But it's just, it seems like an over-the-top regulatory burden on pet food. Well, uh, there is a lot of regulatory. You're exactly right there. Um, we don't do it necessarily because of the regulatory burden. Obviously, we have to follow uh, the, the regulations that are set for us. Uh, mm-hmm. We do it because we feel it's the right way. We do it because we feel that we need to feed our pets the best that we can. 
and we need to uh, produce it the highest quality. And so, quite frankly, that gives us a point of differentiation from the from our uh, competition. And by doing that, we hope we, we give a little bit of peace of mind to somebody who wants to buy and say, okay, these guys are taking all the steps on above and beyond what's what's possible uh, or what's required uh, to to do what they do. And um, yeah, that's that's why never had a recall. That's why we knock on wood. You know, we 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 really go the extra mile. And uh, as much as I'd like to make uh, Trent loose chow, uh, mm-hmm. I don't see it going to be in our future anytime soon. We'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I do see it. I don't get in stores a lot, but if I'm on the road and my trailer lights aren't working or something, I have to go into a farm store and get some component of, you know, magnetic light or something. So then I go over and I check out what's going on in the animal nutrition world. And I do see more verbiage about what you're talking about here today in terms of feeding an animal more like the natural evolution would. Is there a lot of people that are actually catching on to what you've been talking about for more than 20 years? Absolutely. You know, you see a lot of those uh, different brands uh, coming on the scene. Competition's getting much more fierce. I mean, uh, I wish there wasn't competition, but uh, that makes us all better. And so, yeah, I think the the rising trend, people are noticing that. Uh, big businesses are noticing that. They're buying brands or trying to develop brands um, to, to co- compete uh, with things that we've always been done, done and always held true uh, to our, our core. So, um yeah, it is difficult and as much harder as it makes our job with a, a strong competition, uh, it, it's something that's happening and, and we're, we're prepared. I mean, it, it's just life, it's business. Mm-hmm. Well, we competition it. makes um, you better. You don't want to be the only one out there. Absolutely. I mean, I think for years we were the only one leading the way. And uh, and we kept pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope. And um, was it iron sharpens iron or steel sharpens mm-hmm. steel or something like that? So that's what we've, uh, that's what we've been doing. And, uh, we got a lot of a very bright future ahead of us. All right. Believe this or not, we're down to the last minute. What do you want us to most know about feeding pets or kids? I think that whether it's pets or kids, uh, and a lot of people call them their fur babies, um, the most important thing, Trent, I think is just to educate yourself. Turn the bag. There's a reason we have to put the ingredients on the bag. Um, so whether it's, it's your kid's food or your pet's food, turn that bag over. See what the ingredients are. Understand what the ingredients are. And if you don't, and you're in a neighborhood pet store or any, any type of pet store, ask an employee. They can, they're more than happy to help you to say, hey, this is what this does and this is what that means. And if we all start paying a little bit more attention to what's going in our bodies, I think we'll be very pleased with um, the results of how our bodies, how we feel, how our pets look and feel. Um, there, it, there is a direct correlation of what goes in, what comes out. I don't know how we'll solve this, but I want to make you a wager. All right. I wager that more people buying pet food today read the ingredient list than people buying food for themselves. That, that would be interesting. How are we going to prove it? Because I, I want to put a beverage of our choice on this wager, but I don't know how we well, document that. I think we have to do uh, a lot of studies. Just one. Research. Let's, let's just come up with one. Well, study. you're just gonna, you're just gonna, you're just gonna prove your side. And, and, uh, <laughs> Are you arguing with me? You don't, you don't think I'm right? No, I don't know. You know, you could, you very well could be. Uh, and if you are, you know, that's uh, 
that that's that's says a lot about where we are in, in feeding. But all right, we're gonna do a Facebook poll. I hope they both poll. are a hundred percent. Everybody turns the, the the bag. That's the key. Here's the key. We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America problem free after Billy got off of his. Uh, he put enough money in the machine to finally get it to work for the entire time. Good to catch up. Hope I see you soon. We're going to find a way to solve this wager. Always remember all roads do lead to a roll route.